Georgie? The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Come with me if you want to live. And welcome to Direct to Nowhere, the section of the Road to Nowhere podcast in which we invite a guest on to discuss one of their favourite directors and three movies from that director. Tonight I'm delighted to be joined by a journalist for Total Film and Radio Times and the author of Book of Horror, Britpop Cinema and A to Z Great Film Directors, Matt Glasby. Hi Matt, how are you doing? Hello, very well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for agreeing to come on. Um, it's been a, a kind of long time coming. I think I got in contact with you maybe September, <laughs> October last year. <laughs> so to be fair, I moved house. Yeah, everything, everything went wrong, and this everything is now okay. But it, took, yeah. it took that long, so you know. That's totally fine. It happens, and it's, it's since I've started doing this, I find it happens quite regularly. <laughs> it's all right. When I said I was going to do it, I meant I was going to do it. it just oh. didn't necessarily mean which year. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, as I said, delighted to have you on. So it's worth the wait. So as I kind of touched on a wee bit there, you're a journalist for Total Film and Radio Times. How? How's things been? Obviously, we're now not necessarily out the pandemic, but we're in a place where people are more accustomed to dealing with it. Um, how has the the kind of world of print journalism been since we've came out of that? That's such a that's such a big gnarly question. Uh, yeah. it's not, uh, obviously, pandemic's not very good for print journalism. Mm. Um, uh, also, pandemic's not very good for cinema. So you know, the, yeah. the combination of those two has been pretty pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. Obviously, people are streaming everything, and from the point of view of a, a you know a professional critic, um, yeah. streaming services don't want you to to review their films because they don't. It doesn't matter; they don't need word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And you know, the big hits have been long series, which I know people do review, but it's just I don't really get how you can review you know a TV series, three episodes of a TV series that might run for <laughs> might run for twenty years, but you know, still it hasn't finished. Yeah, and so. Yeah, it's been a bit of a strange time and I feel quite lucky to have come out the other end of it still still writing about a film, or perhaps not as much as I was, but, you know, still, mm-hmm. still doing it. So, yeah, I feel very blessed. Yeah, and we were talking, obviously, off recording, you've just recently moved to Glasgow um, and working for Total Film and Radio Times, has that been translatable up here? Has that been okay dealing with that? Yeah, I mean, one of the, I guess one of the uh, positives of the pandemic is that... Um, the studios realised that they could send to screeners um, electronically to journalists, which they already did. But they started doing it for everything. And so the only things that they, that they require you to be in, in a cinema for are like a huge, you know, Top Gun Maverick. And uh, this may surprise you, but uh, I've always been like a niche. Like I don't need, no one's paying me to review Top Gun Maverick because <laughs> I'm, I'm a weirdo. So, uh, <laughs> so the stuff that I would have reviewed anyway is now... You don't need to. You don't need to be in a London screening room in order to review it. Mm. Um, I've got a call set up here, and so you know, obviously, it's nice to get to screenings where you can, festivals and stuff. But like, you know, your your medium films down to the very small ones, which are always the interesting ones for me, have just have just that's gone online. So mm. yeah, that's doable. Yeah, I got my first invite to a screener in October last year uh, down in London. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, it was Barbarian. 
Um, oh wow! Yeah. yeah. Did you make it down? Yeah, I got the mega bus overnight. <laughs> <laughs> I got the mega bus for like two pound fifty on the Monday night. Went to the screening on the Tuesday night and got the mega bus up mega bus back home on the Tuesday night. So it I, was a full on day. <laughs> that is dedication. Mm. That, is, that is to be for the amount of sneering that people have about screeners once they've been in the business for a while. And there you are, like traveling five hundred miles. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Well done. But what did you think of the film? I absolutely loved it. One of my favourites from last year. Yeah. It was it was great, yeah. Um it was down That's there. A- and uh, I had a couple of people just known through the podcast and thing and a, fam- a couple of family members down there. So I'm not a big fan of London. I hadn't been since I was 13. Yeah. So I wandered about myself for a little bit and I was just like, oh, no, I can't <laughs> try to find somewhere out with the main kind of the main yeah. area just to sit and chill. But yeah, it was a good experience. It was on it was on the view on in Leicester Square. I think it was. Yeah, I mean, those, those ones are huge, aren't they? And um, mm. if, it, if it goes well, if you get a good audience and a good film, it could be really, and, you know, there's nothing like seeing being there with, you know, a couple of thousand people, however yeah. big, big, enjoying something. Mm. So, yeah, no, good for you. And um, just to dedicate, that dedication to that is, uh, is incredible. <laughs> I think just because it was a one-off, like, I don't yeah. think I would do it every time. Um, <laughs> but for something like that, yeah, and as I said, I met um, a girl, uh, Zoe Rose-Smith, who does a, a lot of podcasting as well, met her down there. Um the only thing I didn't realise was, so obviously the price of a pint in London is horrendous, and I didn't realise it was an open bar at the screening two oh. hours two hours before. So I went in <laughs> ten, <laughs> 10 minutes before it started and seen this open bar, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Especially to, be in fair, London. to be fair, almost everyone travelling to that screening would have paid more than 250 but they'd have only come from like three miles away, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you're saying there about the screeners as well, and it's something... I've noticed a bit of just I've been kind of not making a name for myself, but I've been getting contacts and everything over the past year and a half, two years with it. And it does seem to be the ones kind of like, I think there's light bulb distribution, which deals with a lot of indie horror and um, Shudder as well are really good for sending out screeners. As you're saying, all the really interesting lower budget indie horror seems to be really really open and really good for interviews as well. I've actually just had a, I've got a couple of Glasgow Fright Fest uh, screeners sent to me. Oh, great. Are you going? I can't, I can't at the minute. I'm just going to job wise, fun yeah, things. Okay. So I, I, but I was on the, the list to get the um, PR company email. So I think I got about five or six, maybe I'll maybe try and get to one or two, but I couldn't go to the full weekend. Um, but um so yeah, I got like a couple of interviews through that as well. Uh, Here for Blood, I think, is the the most recent one. Um, and yeah, they're really responsive and great for getting getting to talk to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly that. Most people will be sending out uh, their PRs and be sending out to all you know the newspapers and what have you, and completely ignored. Yes, yeah. you know, unless that film is is a masterpiece, almost nobody in that world will care. Mm-hmm. But they realise that you are motivated and you're, you know, have got a voice and are interested in the kind of things they're making. And they want you, you know, you're going to shout out from the rooftops, even if your voice isn't as loud as some of those other places. So, yeah. I mean, amazing. Yeah. And uh, tomorrow I'm speaking with, um, the time of recording, sorry, tomorrow I'm speaking with Robbie Banfitch, who's the director of The Outwaters. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I've just seen their social media campaign, and I'm normally not swayed by these things, but mm. I'm so I'm so intrigued. Have you not? So you've not seen it yet, no? Not seen it yet, no. It is. I oh, don't even. Don't even. Don't. I'll just say it's wild. <laughs> okay, good. 
that's all. And I'll I leave it really, at that. I really hate a spoiler. I'm oh, no. I... It's part of the game a bit in the job. So, like, yeah, I just I don't know anything about it other than I want to see it, which is the perfect place, right? Yeah, yeah. And the social media campaign, and they're kind of, I know they were sending out, like, um, boxes to certain journalists I think in the States and it said like we all die in the dark whatever the journalist's name was and it was like a bloody handprint part of a tent and just things like that sent out and it's kind of like remind me of the obviously I was a wee bit young for the Blair Witch campaign but I know about it like yeah. I, I know of what their kind of online campaign was and it's really well done and once it's out I definitely check it out hopefully we'll get a I think it was Screenbox that sent me the the screener for that. Um, I think I've watched it four times. It was great. Uh, yeah, wow, it's okay, great. Uh, found footage. I'm a massive found footage head. So yeah, me too. I uh, mean, yeah, you, you're, you're going to see later on in the program. This is going to pay off, actually. So yeah, definitely. Look forward to it. I've mentioned as well. Obviously, you're an author. Um, you've written the book of horror, uh, Britpop cinema, and it is a great film directors. Your most recent one is a book of horror. Do you want to tell us just a wee bit about that? So that came out just um, maybe a couple of years ago now, and it's mm-hmm. an illustrated guide to the scariest movies ever made. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge horror fan. That's that's my thing. And uh, got all the horror history books, you know, they cover the same, The Exorcist, you know, this, that, huge horrors. Uh, and I had never come across a one which was about the scariest films ever made and, and why films are scary and collecting, looking at it in that way. Mm-hmm. But actually, from the point of view as a, as a fan, that's, that's the thing. Everything else, I don't care about box office, about Oscars. It doesn't even have to be good sometimes. But if it's scary, you know, horror fans will like cluster around that. Yeah. And yeah, I just felt like someone needed to, to write that book. So mm-hmm. I did. And there's some beautiful, really spooky illustrations by my friend Barney, Barney mm-hmm. Bodoano, and uh, giving it a whole thing like, um, hopefully make it like a kind of really spooky package, you know, like it's got some skulls all over it and like yeah. it's got a kind of, you know, uh, academic film writing can get a little bit dry and the idea is that this is kind of you know like a sort of spooky box of delights on mm. its own mm. i'm really really proud of it and um yeah the the, the, the kind of uh, horror book collection thing is just something i recently started just due to space <laughs> yeah. that we've managed to condense my four-year-old into one room instead of two <laughs> so a bit more space. Um, I got the the A to Z uh, Horror Almanac uh, my friend yeah. actually bought me it recently and that's just it's just it is literally A to Z horror movies um, and just the, when they were released I think box office and things like that so it's as you're saying it's maybe not the it can be a bit um uh, finance heavy on it but it's interesting yeah. just having a wee read through it and yeah. what you're saying there about these types of books being engaging for horror writers for horror fans and not being that side of a bit dry and a bit all about the mm. potentially all about maybe problems in the background I've not managed to uh, read your book yet so if I've if I say anything that you've you've put in it and that I criticise I apologise but the quite a lot of the ones that I've read in the past anyway have been it seems to focus a lot, like I think most of the Exorcist books I've read seem to be more about, what's the best way to describe it, oh, you know, the, the curse of the Exorcist type of thing. Yeah. But if you're getting through the scariest horror movies, it certainly seems, and if you're and it's illustrated, it's it's got that detail put into it, it certainly seems something that would be of interest to me, it's just that I've just not got around to it anyway. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, what can I say? I think you'll love it. I think you're going to love it. No, yeah, uh, yeah no, I, obviously it's, it's uh, there's a degree of that you write the book that someone will pay you to write. But also in this particular case, uh, I wrote the book that I wanted to get when I was a 10-year-old or a yeah. nerd 
right, yeah. you know, right the way, and then twenty x years later, managed to um, to start on it. So you know, yeah, like I say, I'm really proud of it. Mm. Yeah, I'd be really really interested to hear what you think. Definitely, and I will pick it up. Um, what is your so being the the horror fan that you are? Do you have a particular all-time favourite horror? I mean, I I kind of I have one that I go for, but it's very fluid and and my choice mm. kind of thing. Do you it's have? very it's very fluid. It's more like you know, it's like you have to yeah. There's a lot of I've got a lot of favourites, and it does depend on on. The day you ask, I also think there's a time and a place for different things. Like of the things I would say are masterpieces, I probably haven't seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre all the way through more than three times. And that's because it's so fucking horrible. <laughs> but it's a masterpiece. It's incredibly horrifying to watch. Hmm. My good god, I couldn't imagine how you could do that better. Same time, am I going to stick it on when this podcast ends, or am I going to stick on some stupid werewolf movie? You know. Time and a place for all these things. I love found footage. I really love ghost stories mm. um, and J horror. But as I've got older and got a sort of creakier house, uh, I, <laughs> like, I, I don't want to watch them when I'm by myself in the house. You yeah. know, like so maybe I've got scared. I don't know. Maybe that's what writing a big book about it and do too. <laughs> yeah. So my my all time kind of the one I always go back to is the orphanage. Um, what a movie yeah and it's my top two usually are both Spanish and it's the orphanage and wreck but that's the found footage head in me and oh, um, <laughs> so I'm just going to say the, the Book of Horror has got there's 34 main chapters mm-hmm. one's on wreck one's on the orphanage right, no, so I need to get <laughs> you've sold me you've got another I'm sale not, I'm there not there. just here to sell books I've got to say I think you're going to like it yeah definitely I, I, 100% beautiful films the Spanish horror was amazing at that. Yeah. yeah. Completely different. One's so slow and classy and the other's like so... Mm, but yeah. I love those movies. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. You, you mentioned as well the, the kind of found footage fan in you. I was on a podcast the other week um, discussing my top 10 found footage. And yeah, that was... Wreck was my number one. Um, yeah. my number I love two. Wreck 2. I love Wreck 2 yeah. as well. Yeah, I think if Wreck, two had, if Wreck 2 had come out first, I think people might have... Because it doesn't have the best overall reviews. I think people would have been a bit. No, but it's just a totally different view. Yeah, Mm. yeah. I mean, the cliche is it's the aliens to the originals. Alien. Yeah. I just yeah, you know, probably not quite at that level, but just opening opening it up without whilst keeping all that was good about the story. I just think Mm. it's really difficult to do that. You know. Yeah. What else was on your What else was on your fan footage list? Like just quickly. So number two was Paranormal Activity. Um, because I'm a big fan of the original. Um, yeah. I remember properly getting the the shits when I was in the cinema watching it. Uh, number the th- the- <laughs> getting scared shitless. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Two completely different games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, that's, uh, I'll keep that in, but I should probably edit it. <laughs> um, the number three was the Outwaters. Um, okay. Yeah. Four. Yep. <laughs> four was host. Yeah. Um, five was Gonjam. Yeah, okay. Haunted Asylum. Yeah. I've got that. I still never can never really get my head around it. I will try it again. Everyone mm-hmm. tells me I'm wrong. So. Uh, all right, okay. I love it. I thought it was, and it was properly scary for me anyway. Um, my, the other five, I know that Hell House LLC, I think, was oh, in it. What and, a movie. Yeah. That's terrifying. Mm, yeah. And kind of more, some of the more obvious. What, uh, Death of a Vlogger. Um, oh, oh, my God. I've seen that. I've, yeah, I've got to say, yeah, I've, I've seen not only have I seen it, but I'm quite good friends with Graham who made it. And, uh, oh. Yeah, like, I speak off 
after review, because of reviewing it, not not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the film is terrifying and yeah. and brilliant and yeah. is a real talent. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking to Graham last week actually um, for a similar <laughs> section, and during the pandemic, uh, me and uh, another guy I'm friends with went out and met Graham in Sloan's, um, and it ended up being a night of far too much beer. Um, this is so funny. Everyone tells me that in, in Glasgow there's like five film people, and if you meet two or three of them, like you know them all, and then you tell me that we're talking about, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, Graham's a great guy as well. But yeah, Death of Logger was in that. Um, Oh, what was, a movie! So oh, scary, oh. really clever. Mm. I think it's on Freevee now as well. The kind of prime mini subscription thing, the adverts. So yeah. everyone should definitely check that out. Um, so we'll get into the kind of main gist of the podcast now. One thing I like to ask, just usually I use it as an icebreaker, but we've spoke we've spoke a wee bit already. So, <laughs> do you have a kind of earliest cinema or movie moment from your? your youth that you remember um like for me for example i remember for some reason going to see batman forever in the cinema or i watched terminator 2 on vhs in my granddad's loft like things like that yeah no things like that i've got a good one so it's not actually seeing something but mm. um i was too young i really wanted to see ghostbusters it was everywhere and i was too young to go but my brother wasn't and his friend came back with a ghostbusters t-shirt when you turn the light off, it projected a ghost nice. on the wall. To this day, I don't know how it did that. Mm. And it scared the absolute, because we were like you know, three or four, and it, mm. just, it scared the absolute shit out of us. And yeah, mm. that was just a great example of, of making people want to see your movie. Mm. Ghostbusters are a cracker as well. I, I had a similar thing, which I think was would have probably been PG as well. Like My mum and dad refused to take me to see Jurassic Park, which would have been 92, 93. I would have been yeah. five or six, but I was obsessed mm. with dinosaurs. Yeah. And I knew of the movie. I remember them coming back and picking me up from my grandparents. And I was like, so was Stegosaurus in it? Was like Diplodocus <laughs> in it? What was in it? And they were just not wanting to tell me. They would think they were maybe a bit more happy for me to watch it with them when it came out. Yeah. But I remember just being absolutely devastated. I couldn't oh, go and see Jurassic Park. Poor little you. But yeah, I do stand by. As a parenting <laughs> decision, I think they can stand safely stand by that one. <laughs> yeah. I think I've actually tried to show my four-year-old Jurassic Park. She wasn't interested. It wasn't animated enough. <laughs> it's just animation at the minute. Um, another thing, do you have a, a kind of all-time favourite cinema moment? Um, one that you would regularly go back to you don't even need to see the whole film it can just be something you maybe you're sitting over a couple of beers one night you go I really want to rewatch that scene for me it's probably this is maybe a wee bit basic but it's maybe portals from Endgame like I the cinematic experience for that kind of comes back to me when I watch it rewatch it right. as well okay I found this, this this I mean that's a really good good question but it's also an absolute V-I-T-C-H of a question. <laughs> so I just, what I did was I couldn't narrow it down to one. I mm. remember seeing, this is where they found British things come in, mm. I remember seeing Blair Witch Project in the cinema, which tells you the difference between <laughs> our ages. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, the hype, thinking it's not going to live up to the hype. I saw the cinema, was absolutely shit scared. Mm. And it got to the ending, that just beautiful mic standing in the corner facing the wall. Yeah. And it finished. And my friends and I, the world all got to watch it. Just, I remember being so scared. I don't think I could get out of my seat. Like it was just, and we didn't know why he was standing in the corner. Someone said like he was hovering, which obviously is not. And to this day, I love that movie. Interviewed the directors there in the book, and, mm-hmm. and also it's just such a brilliant moment. Like all found footage after that is a bit based on that moment. Yeah, because actually, you've done nothing. We've learned nothing. There's no special effects. It costs nothing. But like 
you know, we're still talking about it, what's it, 1999? Yeah. So what, 23 years later, I'm still talking to you about this moment. Yeah. So, you know, obviously that is doing something incredibly powerful. And so yeah, I just love that movie. Love that mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Um, do you know the Blair Witch wasn't in my top 10? <laughs> Blair Witch Ooh, Project. Right. Do you know why it is? So the first time I watched the Blair Witch Project, I would have been, it would have been maybe about 03, 04. Um, and I was of an age where the quality of the movie wasn't really something I watched. I wanted, I was kind of, I was always a bit gore at that age. Yeah. I was really heavy gore. Like I went to see Saw and this, I snuck in to see Saw. Um, and it was things like Hostel and all that, which I now really have a dislike for Hostel. But um, so I appreciate that it's great and I've watched it since and I do yeah. think it is great, but just because it never really, because yeah, I'd heard. Just missed that. Uh, yeah, it was like a couple of years. I think if I'd maybe been even a few years younger and caught it a wee bit later on, maybe when the paranormal activity boom started, it might have it had more of a, an impact and more of an impression. But I still absolutely love it. It is a, a fantastic movie. Um, but it's just one of those ones that I was in the wrong kind of era for it to yeah. just by a couple of years. But as uh, again, since I went and watched it back, I think I actually watched when I was younger Book of Shadows more because it was. Yeah. Yeah, that, what I wanted it was the violence aspect of it, um, and then I went. I was desperate to see the Blair Witch in the cinema when it came out, and I thought yeah. it had its elements. Um, yeah, I quite like that. So I don't know what they were, I didn't really know what they were going to do. We were told it was a thing called the Woods, and we were going to be ruining this thing called the Woods, and then it slowly came out that it was the, the reboot. So it was unlike the original; it was a badly kept secret, but it was as good at keeping a secret as you can these days. And yeah, I thought, I thought it was good. I thought the reboot was scary. Like it was, you know, obnoxious for an hour and then really scary for about 20 minutes. But, you know, yeah. so was the first one. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that took a wee bit from Wreck as well, didn't it? With the, the kind of witch at the end. It looks very like the woman in the. Yeah. In the everything, the takes, in everything takes a bit from Wreck, doesn't it? Everyone just, yeah. just realised that skinny, corner skinny is something you can do, yeah. you know, it, with, with just a, a, like, you know, with makeup. Mm. And it's just very, very uncomfortable. Mm, yeah, definitely, and I think there's there's talk of a potential sequel reboot TV series. Mm-hmm. I think there was a discussion. I know uh, Jed Shepard, who was the writer, one of the writers on Host, is a big advocate for trying to yeah. push through something like this. And I spoke to him a couple of times actually, and his theories on the Blair Witch Project. He's massively into, and it's great listening to him talk about it. He'd be a great, he'd be a great choice to reboot it. I mean, um, mm. Daniel and Eduardo have said that they're still up for it. Um, so you know. I'm sure with all the talent out there and all the, you know, I guess it doesn't even have to be found footage, but with all the backstory that it's got, someone mm-hmm. could definitely do something. They're making TV shows of everything. Why not that? Yeah. Everything apart from Mindhunter season three, which I found out today. Which I'm <laughs> out. But anyway, that's a totally different podcast. Um, so coming on to your director then, you've picked David Cronenberg. Um, what is your kind of relationship with Cronenberg? Without, we'll go into the three movies, but um, what yeah. is your rough kind of? I, you know, back in the day, the, the horror that you got was either through like videotapes that you could pick up somewhere or mm-hmm. whatever was showing on Channel 4 that you recorded the night before. And someone got me scanners. And it was like you were saying about you're looking for gore, like, um, you know, exploding heads. Fucking, okay, it, it blew my mind. Haha. <laughs> it blew my mind. And also, I was, you know, like, I was maybe 10 or 11 and I guess a nerdy kid. But also, like, you could, well as, this is well as paying off. Uh, those Cronenberg movies from that era also like made you think. I don't want to sound too ranky, but they did. So they had like something there, like a brain, and at the same time, you've got a big fucking exploding head on the screen. And that was just to this. That is what I want. That is what I want. 
I want something to make me think, and I want it also to pay off. And so from scanners, I fell in love, and then there was just you know acres of, of his earlier stuff, which is some of it's better than others, but all of it pays off. And then as I grew older, his films sort of got more complex, I guess. And so like you know to the point where he's still making them. Was it last year his last film out? So he's been making challenging, clever films that pay off my whole life. Actually, way beyond my whole life. And so, yeah, like, what's not to like? Like, he's, he's, there's only one David Cronenberg, and he's mm. never, ever sold out and dropped the ball. Like, some of his films I like more than others, but you know, he's in his late 70s now, and he's still making yeah. insane movies. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was um, Crimes of the Future last year. I've still not seen that. Is it? That was it. it. You know what? It's not a great film, okay. but there are just moments of sort of transgressiveness with these major actors and this major weirdness we mm. just think. It is incredible what this got made. I'm watching this, and like, I just had a big smile on my face to see. So I'm like, thank fuck for David Cronenberg. It's not his best film. It's you know, it's it's, but for it's like it's like one for the fans, I think. So you know, if you're reviewing it cold, you'd be like, what the hell is this? If you followed him all the way through that stuff, you could see all the themes like repeat back on themselves. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's interesting. It's an interesting movie. Mm-hmm. And what do you think of his son? His son oh my god. Movies? I love them. Again, what more do I they pay off and they're smart? Like, you know, yes, I want to see people's faces ripped. I want to see Sean Bean getting battered with a poke. Like, yes, so I've loved, I loved, what was the, the original body horror one um, with Caleb Landry Jones? Uh, anti, no, was it an, no. Antiviral. Antiviral. So I love that. Uh, I love Possessor. I'm well up for Infinity Pool. Mm. And it's just like, yeah, it's like he's. I mean, someone's like if someone's cloned his dad and kicked him into the next generation, and you know, yeah, brilliant. And something with Mia Goth in it, uh, also she's just incredible at the minute. Um, yeah, so Cronenberg is someone who actually this is the, my my second time discussing Cronenberg for this podcast. Um, oh, sorry, uh, no, it's totally fine. <laughs> it was always going to happen at some point. Um, and before my first time discussing him, I had quite a blind spot to him actually yeah. um like for example two of the ones what we're going to discuss today were first time watches for me okay. um and especially a certain one which uh will be the second one we discuss i don't know why i've never seen it because the author is one of my favorites of all time i'm literally reading them if, if i'm not reading a stephen king book it's rare that i'm reading <laughs> i'm one of those um but yeah, it's, I need to go back and find out a lot more about his his back catalogue. Like I'd seen um, history of violence and things like that. And, yeah, and I've really enjoyed that. But it's it, until again we're coming on to another movie I, that wasn't what I thought Cronenberg was. Yeah, um, yeah. that's that's str- yeah, that's a, a strange part of his career. It all feeds back into the same same glorious hole. But you're right. So, mm. Glorious hole with the W. <laughs> <laughs> You're basically talking, sorry. I'm, That's right. and, um, I'm, I'm disappearing here. <laughs> and uh, like, there was also, uh, I think he had a part, I think he had a bit of a, a writing part possibly on, did he write in part in the Slasher TV series that was on Shudder? I know he appeared in season four. He's the kind of main antagonist in season four, David Cronenberg. He's the, 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 the kind of patriarch in it. I don't know if you've seen Slasher. No, I haven't. Mm. Decent TV series. Um, four was probably the best one, actually, and every series follows a different story. It's anthology style, but it's okay. gory. It goes full gore. It's like... Uh, okay. Yeah, it's really, it's really good. And Cronenberg stars in uh, the fourth series because it was a rebooted series. It went off the boil a wee bit. I think it was Netflix originally, the first three series, 
and then Shudder bought it up and rebooted it for Series 4 and Cronenberg stars in it and it's really worth checking out it's easy watching especially if you're a horror fan oh mm. so we'll come on to the first one then um, and I think this is what as a kind of layman I would say be would be the stereotypical if you like Cronenberg movie and it's Videodrome it's the body horror why did you watch it Max business reasons sure what about the other reasons Ren is a victim. I woke up with a headache. He what has been exposed to Videodrome. I've been hallucinating for a while, ever since... What? Since I first saw Videodrome. His brain is already receiving video images. I think that massive doses of Videodrome signal will ultimately produce and control hallucination to the point that it will change human reality. Soon, his visions will coalesce and become uncontrollable flesh. Videodrome is seducing Max Wren. Please, come to me now. Come to Nikki. And Max Wren can do nothing to stop it. What makes you think I need help? None of our test subjects has returned to normality. Television can change your mind. Videodrome will change your body. Long live the new flesh. It will shatter your reality. Videodrome. Videodrome. Starring Deborah Harry and James Woods. A shocking new vision from the creator of Scanners. Coming soon to a theater near you from Universal Pictures. <laughs> um, so, Videodrome is about uh, James Woods' character, Max Wren, who discovers, uh, he's, he's channel surfing at night and he discovers um, an obscure signal, which is just sex and violence. Um, um, on on an obscure cable channel called Videodrome, and he wants to investigate because he wants to put that out on his channel. And as that happens, he becomes more and more addicted to the things he's seeing. And this um, at this point, reality of the film seems to break down. It's hard to say whether he's seeing some crazy stuff and he's freaking out, or he's part of some uh, crazy plot. I'm not really explaining this very well. Things get things get pretty weird. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, they certainly do. Is um, yeah, as I said, it's what I thought Cronenberg is. There's weird anatomy things going on. There's hands going inside stomachs and pulling out guns. I think they pull a gun out of his stomach, yeah. and it's it's just such a, a wild trip. And then Debbie Harry being in it as well is really strange. As much as she kind of was make, maybe not making a name for herself as an actress, but she was becoming, she turned up in a few things that I saw recently in Body Bags, the old Carpenter TV movie. Um, yeah. And it just, it's, do you know what they, so skipping ahead a little bit into maybe the kind of third act, it reminded me something, or it reminded me something like, um, like, not totally, like Total Recall, The Running Man, where there's like weird revolutions happening at the end, but, is it all really happening? Or what is the what is the kind of end game of the new flesh kind of story? It's, 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 it's such a mindfuck. 
So yes, I mean, as a coherent story, you're going to be, you're going to be frustrated. Mm. But what, what it is is that this is a great idea, um, you know, about whether violent images change your brain and cause you harm or make you do other things. You know, it was a big, it was from 1983, so there's lots of talks about video analysis. So it's a really mm. great idea. And then Cronenberg like takes it and runs with it and has this sort of sleazy James Woods character experiences all the different things you might get with that. It makes him violent, makes him sexual. He starts hallucinating crazy things like a vagina in his stomach that videotapes into a literal, as you say, handgun. And how is this going to end or all tie up? Well, it's like in an 82-minute film as well or something, so it's impossible. But it asks all these insane questions and lets them sort of play out. And I find that this really stimulating as opposed to frustrating. Like it's not, but it's not a film of answers. But as you say, I just watch it. It's incredibly trippy mm. and and really powerful. Like I love those bits where you're watching one reality and it just weirdly bleeds into another. Mm-hmm. This does that so well, which leads on to your Total Recalls, your Matrixes, your yeah. um, Jacob's Ladders, like lots of things like that. I just really skips over those genres. And um, Cronenberg was going to make was one of the original directors down to make Total Recall. So it's really into that Philip K. Dick right. sort of sci-fi, uh, dystopia stuff. So, you know, where you, you take a clever idea of science and then you once you put the human into that, mm. what's going to happen? Where's it going to go? You know, it's going to end badly, but how? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's so much, so much swimming around in this movie. We could talk about it all night, I'm sure. Mm. It's interesting about uh, if he was going to be the one of the directors originally for Total Recall. It would have been very different from Paul Verhoeven's version. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I think I think Arnie was a, a stepping, was a stumbling block for him. <laughs> yeah, you know it's going to be an action movie then, don't you? Like a full blown action movie with very little nuance. And I think even yeah. in the kind of Philip K. Dick book, they don't ever make it to Mars. Um, and then I think in the the Colin Farrell remake, less about that the better. The, um, they don't think he makes it to Mars. I've seen it once. Can you tell you anything about okay. it? So the the paranoia side of it with James Wood's character. Do you feel that? Do you have an opinion on whether you feel like it's happening with the whole Brian Oblivion character? Do you think that is because I think that's what Cronenberg's really good at, and he kind of touches on what realities are we bit in another movie that we're, we're going to talk about. Mm. Does it work for you in terms of you are always guessing, as you're saying? Like, I think it's great. Like, it's one of the probably most perfect 80-odd-minute movies you're going to get. There's no fat on it at all. There's no... Yeah. He's literally rolling from one kind of like paranoid moment to the other for James Wood's character, uh, who Max Ren. Um, and it just it feels kind of pitch perfect and it gets everything spot on with it. Is your question, is it really happening? Then I have no idea. <laughs> and I think I think there's a universe in which there's a plot and it's a plot, a plot against him. You know, it really is a, 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 thr- a thriller plot of which mm-hmm. he falls foul. There's a universe in which it's a body horror thing in which he's he's developing um, a, a tumour that's, that's causing him to hallucinate. And there's a sort of trippier version, which is just if you get into people's desires and... Uh, fears and stimulate them with violence and with sexual images and stuff. Uh, who who knows where where if it was that powerful, this like beamed into your brain. Who knows where that would end up? Yeah. So to, I think it, to keep all those three things a bit in the air is insane. And yeah, to the idea of getting to one conclusion and then going ta da, that was it. It's it's not this movie. You know? mm. And it's obviously it ends in the the when he's 
a derelict boat in, in the harbour and Nicky, who's uh, Debbie Harry, kind of comes back to him and there's a whole scene with goo and intestines and he, it seems like he's maybe going to kill himself or the hear a trigger sound anyway and yeah, it's just... It's, it's as you're saying you could talk about it all night but it's also an incredibly difficult movie to pin down to talk about because usually what I like to do with movies is I'll take kind of three points from it yeah, and use yeah. them as jumping off but this movie I'm is so good luck with any of that tonight any yeah. of those movies <laughs> exactly and it is probably the second one I'll come on to is the most uh, linear I think yeah. Um, but yeah it just he makes you question yourself in a way that very few filmmakers do nowadays, I think, especially with, as you're saying, there could be three different uh, readings of this movie. There could be three different yeah, endings. Yeah. 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 Is the ending we've seen the actual ending or is that all in Max's head? Is there ever been it? Like, it's so dense for a, a short movie. Mm. There's, there was extra footage for an ending shot in which you see a phrase they keep hearing, look at long live the new flesh. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's a sort of famous quote that's outlived the movie mm-hmm. and at the end he was intending that you might see what that new flesh might look like and then you'd be in the Videodrome and uh, Debbie Harry's character would be there and he'd be there and there'd be this new thing and then you know obviously budget constraints and mm. uh, timing constraints they didn't get to shoot it or, or to be shooting it and it didn't quite work and he cut it anyway you can see how he would keep going keep going keep going with mm-hmm. this you don't necessarily need to see that stuff to know that what's beyond is yeah. going to be pretty fruity, I guess. Yeah. And would you put this into the kind of cosmic horror uh, bracket, if you would? Mm, that's interesting. It's like, it, no, because I feel like the thing that's scary about it isn't like the enormous, terrible unknowableness out there. It, mm. it is people and it is the body. So it's just, yeah, it's a sci-fi horror and it's really the ways in which does both of these things are really clever and different. I think we've seen a lot more of that kind of movies you know, since the 80s and especially the 90s. But mm. I really, you know, Body Horror 1983 when this came out was David Cronenberg. And the idea that there's a studio made this movie with, you know, a name actor is completely insane. And yeah. I fucking love it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And as you're saying, it's about it's Body Horror, it's about the. Almost not the as you touched on maybe not being about the unknown, but the uh, f- uh, finality of the body as well. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like, um, it's, say for example, what's happening to Max is true. Let's go down this line for a minute, <laughs> and it feels like it's almost progressing that element of the body and adding another layer. Not necessarily evolution, but to a a, a new Human, if you kind of try to think of the best words to, to I think evolution is evolution's a good one. I think right, okay. if, if something can do this to your mind, you know, uh, our bodies change all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, through technology, people uh, get um, their hands hurt from using their phones. They really use vapes instead of, you know, just thinking of random examples. Your body, yeah, you've got one there. You know, so your body is changing yeah. due to, you know, you might get eye strain from staring at a screen in the day and your body might adapt to that too. I think this mm-hmm. is. The coronavirus early stuff says, well, what if the body could do this or was under extreme stress? What would it do then? Yeah. And imagines what it might do next. And this is one of the things we might grow new things on our bodies. We might like, you know, or it can all be in someone's brain because your brain isn't, isn't a car cope with, car cope with So mm-hmm. it may not evolve fast enough. Um, and, yeah. you know, there's, there's all, again, all these options are still on the table. It's one of these movies 
I've been on podcasts before talking about it. And now I'm like, I don't think I'm any closer to the centre. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if I end up with a vagina in my chest because I've been vaping, I'll definitely stop. <laughs> like it's 100. percent That'll be me quitting. Well, nobody knows whether you have or not, so you know. But I believe you. Well, I mean, if there's a camera here, but no one will see that. No one will believe me. Um, and what you're saying there about the, um, I think this movie certainly. I've, I've never seen Scanners and some other Cronenberg sort of earlier works. The way that humans are evolving in terms of technology and in terms of, like you're saying, things like vaping and even different ways of processing information, processing and ingesting food is even taking on new, wild and wonderful ways of dealing with it. We don't know how these are going to affect our bodies until 30, 40 years down the line. And it feels even more pertinent now than it did, certainly, in in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's reasonably commonly said about the film is that it predicts the internet that you know imagine like these are just little clips without any um, context that people that are addicted people say that you know tiktok youtube you know the, the, although he obviously hasn't exactly predicted those things what he did do is he was thinking what we might do next you know and how that would serve us and so obviously a super clever guy like that has gone well you know maybe that the tv just won't be you know in, in the UK, for terrestrial channels to be other stuff out there. Some of that stuff will be weird. Some of the stuff will be bad for you. Um, it might predict torture porn, I think. Like the, the shots of Videodrome are basically bad torture porn movies in miniature. And, you know, all, those are just the end of, of what, what next, what next, what next. Yeah. So for 1983, though, um, you know, fair fucks to the guy. Yeah. Uh, and as I said, it's just, it's that. Um, surreal kind of weird way that he's able to not as you're saying not predict but guess almost how it's going to go um uh, and it just feels even more pertinent now as i said um so moving on released in the same year 1983 which is not a bad double act um is the dead zone uh, adapted from stephen king book of course as i kind of touched on a wee bit earlier been in a coma, Johnny. For how long? Five years. The house is burning. Your daughter's in the house. It's not too late. You're the talk of the town. Because I got my head bashed in and I'm still here to talk about it. Because you have the power of second sight. I don't know whether it's true or not, these psychic powers of yours. I'm at my wit's end, John. I could use your help. It has to do with these murders we've been having. Castle Rock Killer. I saw his face. Just thought I'd stop by here on my way to the U.S. Senate. Greg Stilson. He's dangerous. If you could go back in time before Hitler came to power, knowing what you know now, would you kill him? I would kill him. You'd never get away alive. It doesn't matter. I'm not crazy, you know. Those headaches are getting worse, aren't they? As the visions grow stronger and more powerful, so the body weakens. God has seen fit to bless you with this gift. You should use it. Bless me! Not only can you see the future, I can change it. Um, I think this one will be a bit easier for you to 
What have I seen up this for? Possibly, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, it is a bit easier to <laughs> So I'm trying not to give too many spoilers, but um, Christopher Walken plays Johnny Smith, who's a New England teacher. Um, he's got his girlfriend, Brooke Adams, Sarah, and they're all happy. And mm-hmm. he has one night he has a road accident and is sent into a coma for five minutes. When he wakes up from his coma, Sarah's moved on, life's moved on, his body is withered, but he has the capacity to get see glimpses of people's futures mm-hmm. and it turns out pasts as well, but to have so sort of, you know, um, have psychic uh, insight into their lives uh, in a way that gives you know puts you in the middle of that dilemma, like if you can change something, should you? Yeah. So some of it's really obvious, like he sees him her nurse touches him, he sees the house on fire. Um, and so he says, you know, your house on fire, your daughter's screaming. I'm not going to do the impression, but I really wish I could. <laughs> and then other things are more complicated, you know, and you know, should you be, should you be able to play God in history? And so this poor guy who's had his life completely ripped from has this terrible, amazing gift and he has to work out exactly what he should do. Mm. This was my, again, first time watching it. I've never uh, read the Stephen King book either, which what is... What did you think? I loved it. Yeah, it was great. It felt very... Do you know, it, it kind of, it's it was one of those ones going into it where I knew there was obviously going to be an adaptation of a King book and King's never fully went body horror. So I was expecting it was going to be like a Cronenberg mash with body parts and things like that, just from my, my kind of base knowledge of Cronenberg. And I thought it was a great, almost kind of, as you're saying, it's about being able to play God, but there's the thriller mystery aspect of it and certain in the whole John Doe character which I really loved um, I think it was probably my favourite sort of um, the, the favourite part of my, the movie that played out just finding out the the Castle Rock murder of Castle Rock as well that never even clicked with me at the time like Castle Rock is always Stephen King Castle Rock or Derry I mean, you would never move there um, and that was probably my favourite part of it but yeah it was fantastic just a great uh, again sci-fi um, I don't know if this one would be so much horror more than... It's almost a drama, isn't it? Yeah. Psychological drama. One of the things that I love about it is that no one mentions it when they talk about Cronenberg. No one mentions it when they talk about King. There's so many more famous, more, you know, yeah. um, out there works of theirs. But then, you, like you say, you watch the last night, it's so beautiful. It's this cool. beautiful, clever, like, wintry mm. psychological drama. And it's it's... Oh, yeah, I really love it. It really stands up and um, feels really grown up for that part of Cronenberg's career. And also, there was lots of terrible Stephen King movies in the 80s, like Firestarter, all this terrible shit that just took the idea mm-hmm. and then, you know, made a kind of B-movie. But this feels like it's really elevated it, actually. It mm-hmm. feels like it could be a bit schlocky. And it's this really, you know, Christopher Walken is so heartbreaking in the, in the centre of it all. He's got these amazing eyes and he's always such a strange presence. Yeah, and yeah, it's just this. Yeah, this is about loss. She's given this terrible gift at the expense of losing his love. Losing, she goes on and remarries and has kids. He loses his job. His body withers. Like it's just this incredible loss bleeding through this movie. I think it's Mm -hmm. really uh, funny, really moving. Yeah, it is, and it certainly it's one of something that from the Cronenberg I've watched anyway. That happy endings are not always going to happen. (laughs) Like, mm. there's no, I think maybe in a lesser filmmaker's hands, and again, I don't know the text from Stephen King, so I don't know his 
if the ending's the same as his or if it's if it differs from it. I think in a lesser filmmaker, he would maybe save the day and get back with the the ex and yeah. you know, there's we, we, we can go full spoilers in this. I think the the last line in the movie she says I love you as he's dying. Like yeah. and it's so heartbreaking and it seems to be a very prominent thing in a lot of Cronenberg's work where if you not necessarily meddle with things, but if you're cursed by something or meddle with them, then the outcome for you doesn't look particularly good. I think he's he's a realist, and uh, you know, mm. in in, in, um, in dealing with these very extreme situations, uh, he, the the the, real, the most obvious scientific and practical outcome of this is is bad things. You know? Yeah, um, and you know, so yeah, it doesn't need to hold your hand to. But on that basis, and in his filmography, this is quite a tender version of that. You know, this, no, I don't want to say nobody gets the head bowed up, which they do, but like, this, uh, it's not about violence. It's not about showing you very extreme imagery. It's about what that might do to someone's soul. And um, that's, it sounds cheesy saying, but actually, that's what films like this should be about. Mm-hmm. And it's rare that, that they capture that. I don't know. I really loved it. I saw it when I was really little and was expecting, you know, could have been a haunted car you know whatever i couldn't see any steven spielberg i uh, sorry stephen king <laughs> adaptation and then it was like the fuck is this mm. it was really it felt really um grown up even mm. then yeah and that's that's what i really enjoyed but it is about it's really just about christopher walken's journey and adaptation from essentially waking up in a new body with yeah. these extra gifts if you want to call them that or curses and he is having to evolve as a person and adapt as a person to this thing that's happening to him. And there's a lot of really great moments in it where it is focused on Christopher Walken, the scene in the, the TV studio, I think he's excellent. And, and where, which is, which is one of the things I was actually quite surprised about where they mentioned the fact that his gift is the talk of the town. Quite a lot of times in these types of movies, it's a hidden thing. Like yeah. he would try and get involved in the police Investigations into the serial killer, and they would fob him off and tell him no. But this, the very, they embrace him almost. It kind of feels maybe like the way the town of Castle Rock is is a Stephen King town where, oh, we've seen weird shit before. Come with us, sort of thing. And yeah. that heart as well. I think something that Stephen King does really well in his books. But again, I'm, I'm going off of just the other things that I've read. And Cronenberg has definitely got the the emotional tone spot on and as you said the, the tragedy of the whole thing and he gets such a great performance out of Christopher Walken in this before uh, he was my, bef- fa- yeah, my be- favourite ever Christopher Walken performance mm. you know amongst a, like a very strong crowd yeah but yeah it's very um, as you're saying it is the the emotional side that people maybe don't realise with Cronenberg's movies and yeah. he, he gets it absolutely done but, and the 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 atmosphere in this film just with the as you're saying everything's frosty and cold and everything it just adds to it it adds to that uh, I don't mean unknown because it's cold outside but the the adaption of himself is kind of I feel kind of reflected in the way the the world is around them yeah and it's very um obviously his visions are quite dramatic you know mm. um, but but the rest of it's really sort of quite low key. Yeah. They're not like they're just ordinary people. Like it's it's only in, in the film's latter act that he meets a presidential candidate played by Martin Sheen. Yeah. The, the film kind of reaches a thriller aspect, I guess. But the rest of it's they're like small, ordinary, God fearing people and he's just this 
anomaly amongst them. And like, what could he ever do? Like, so he, he chooses to help solve crimes. But like, what could he do? Like, how would he just retire to like a cabin somewhere? Because someone would be always knocking on the door and um, asking him to, to try and to try and help them. Yeah. It's just a really, it's such a, it's almost like a lovely film, even though that says probably says something about my fucked up head. But no, amongst the films I like, it's quite lovely. Yeah, no, I get that hundred yeah. percent. It's interesting when uh, Martin Sheen comes into it as a uh, what here a. Uh, Greg Stilson, the he's kind of senator running for president, I think, or is he? Is he? He's running for senate, and the future predicts him to be this psychotic president who starts World War Three, kind of triggers off the, yeah. the 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 top of the Cold War, and his energy is very different to Christopher Walken's. In this, Christopher Walken is very quiet and controlled, yeah. and like a delicate person. And Sheen coming in, as does, as you say, it kind of dials it up a little bit. It adds in the thriller element. And he's manic. He's a very yeah, yeah. Um, crowd-pleasing sort of... It doesn't, it doesn't think it ever mentions his uh, party, the political party. Yeah. Oh, he's a third. He's the first... I think they say he's a third runner. Uh, I've never noticed that. I think they say he's like the outsider, so he's not Democrat or Republican. I guess if you make it, it's a Hollywood movie, so I guess you don't want to like piss off half the audience, do you? So you might as well just say like, "Oh yeah, he's the he's the ex party." You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like when Top Gun Maverick or Top Gun, even when they have the bad guys, and it's not Russia or China or Germany or anywhere. It's just the bad guys in a hill, yeah. <laughs> and it's very much like because we need that Chinese market. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. So true. Yeah, there's um, yeah, no. See, I didn't realise that. Yeah, that, um, Martin Sheen wasn't, and it, they, you're right. Their performances are from completely different planets. They're both mm. amazing, but yeah. Sheen is like uppers, and Walken's like downers, and the two just, yeah, they don't, they yeah, they don't meet very happily. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, people have said that this uh, uh, Sheen's, um, to, you know, who wants to be president, is a sort of crass man of the people. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, there's been lots of. Uh, Trump comparisons in recent years, yeah, which yeah. wasn't the case when it was made. Yeah, they were just like, you know, what would a what would a bad guy that might do well with the common man look like? And they came up with this. Yeah. I think Mark Sheen is president is probably still preferable <laughs> to President Trump. But like, yeah. so that's their something. Even the fictional one is, you know, uh, without wishing to get too political. <laughs> At least he would have ended us all and we wouldn't have had to deal with shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, at least he would have put us out of our misery. You're right, that's a, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, it, I think, as you're saying, it adds to the... It kind of balances the film well and gives it that, as much as the, the kind of latter parts of it are more thrillery based because of the the the, the difference in the two actors and their the portrayals and their, their performances. It adds to the balance and the... As you're saying, kind of nice. I said that everything ends in a lot of Cronenberg movies hopelessly, maybe not hopelessly, because I think this is probably one of the more hopeful of his I've seen at the end. I mean, not necessarily for the antagonist, but it's the best outcome for everyone else. It's the sacrificial hero. It's the yeah. superhero saving himself to save the the common man, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. It's comparatively hopeful. Um, mm. <laughs> Says so a lot. So, I think probably out of the three we're speaking about, I probably I think that's my favourite. I've really enjoyed it, and it's definitely one I'll go back and watch again. Obviously, I've, I have watched Videodrome before, yeah. um, but I think just because of my like when a Stephen King movie comes out as well, I am there in the cinema opening day. Um, I have 
not got it yet, but I've got a Pennywise tattoo on the way. Um, wow. Yeah, I've got a little bit of space there, so that I'm just going to kind of get done. Just next, just next to your video slit. <laughs> yeah, just line it up. Um, yeah, I've got my Donnie Darko one, so that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it, it, I absolutely loved it and. There was not a movie out of these three that I didn't enjoy, which is always a good thing. There has been times where uh, I once had um, Mary Wilde on the podcast. I don't know if you're aware of Mary. She's a Freudian. She looks at cinema through a Freud lens. Oh, I do. She's is she on Evolution of Horror. She is. Yep. She does the do. uh, do. uh, wild about horror section. Yeah, she yeah. said we shared some space on that, and she's done. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, she um, was on the show before and wanted to talk the Human Centipede trilogy. Yeah. Is there a third one? Oh, there is. The third one is gonzo as fuck. (laughs) It's wild. I've seen seen two. I still haven't seen one. And yeah, probably not going to see three. (laughs) One is the best one. um, And it is probably the least disgusting. It's one of these ones where its reputation precedes it. Two is one. Toro, two is horrible. one of the most disgusting things I've ever witnessed oh, in cinema. It's horrible, yes. yeah. Oh no, I can't be doing that. Yeah, it wasn't for me. But it was really interesting chat with Mary because she looks at it through a totally different lens, one that my mind doesn't really work to. Um, and it's really, it's it's incredible her kind of perception of that. But that was just a talk about movies that I didn't enjoy. These ones I did. Um, two thousand and two, bit of a, a time jump, nearly twenty years later, and he's still going strong. Mm. with Spider um, Ralph Fiennes stars in this Miranda Richardson Queenie herself isn't she Queenie from Blackadder Um, and Gabriel Byrne the kind of three main draws of this
Maybe on a low one, it's a bit more difficult to to synopsize. Well, yeah, I maybe. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't spin too far out of control. Basically, your your lead character is Ray Fiennes, is um, Dennis Spider Clegg. He's released from a uh, mental hospital um, into a halfway house run by Lynn Redgrave, and it, this is in the east end of London where he grew up. And what happens is he's, he's uh, schizophrenic, it seems. Uh-huh. Um, he masters to himself and he uh, seems very, very damaged and uh, yeah. barely able to cope. Now, as he's given some of his freedom back, he wanders the streets around where he grew up and starts to kind of rekindle his uh, unhappy childhood. Mm. We watch him watching his unhappy childhood with Gabriel Burns, his dad, Miranda Richardson's mum. Something happened to spin that childhood into the mental illness yeah he watches it back and sort of wanders through the sort of relics of his old life starts to become quite unwell again and uh, i guess the question is whether history is going to repeat itself mm. i really really enjoyed this one as well like i was again a movie called spider by david cronenberg i wasn't expecting what i got because i've tried going with these if i don't know them i don't even read synopsis um, yeah, cause you, you have to watch them anyway, right? So you may as well. Like, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a big trailer watcher. Like I, I'm quite bad for that, but I try not. If I don't know a movie before, as I've done a few of these, I don't know the movie. I try going as blind as possible. So yeah, Spider by David Cronenberg was not what I, what I expected. I didn't expect it to be such a, a again a character drama. Almost we're mm. watching Ralph Fiennes. Almost we're watching him watch his story unfold in yes. a way that he's learning about it almost at the same time as us and yes. he's clearly a very damaged character we don't know a huge amount about the time in between his childhood and until he's released um from the the psychiatric hospital um he's very i think he's fantastic in this he's very yeah, he's really good very committed isn't he yeah he's understated he's quiet and i've never been a huge fan of ralph fines personally um i've like I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily look at a Ralph Fiennes movie. I think apart from this, maybe the Grand Budapest Hotel is probably my favourite of his because I just, and I'm not even a Wes Anderson fan either. Is that Wes Anderson, yeah, um, and I really like him in that. But he's not someone I generally search out. But I felt in this, he really grabs you and he gets the sympathy for you from you. Sorry, right from the off, the moment he steps off the train, mm. it's quite a cold feeling movie. And by that, I don't mean there's no emotion in it it's just you see him drenched in rain and you can almost everyone knows that feeling of just getting caught at the wrong time they were and but he's not able to seem to get out of that he's always wearing the same clothes he seems like he's always sodden in some way and it kind of adds to his tragedy in an aspect yeah i, I agree it's um it, it isn't a warm movie you know the happiness is few and far between and mm. um undamaged characters are very quickly removed from the screen mm. because we're actually it's an unreliable narrating and lots of what we're seeing is, yeah. is in his mind or through his eyes uh. everyone's in like browns and greys and blues all of the rooms are damp the, the credits start with like spreading damp and like rotten wallpaper yeah and um yes yeah, it's, it's it's incredibly downbeat and depressing movie mm. <laughs> you know there's no there's none of your Big gory moments of video drama, or even there's none of the thriller aspects of the Dead Zone, but it's really powerful um, of letting you into the mind of someone who you'd not normally be in the mind of. Mm-hmm. And um, the writer Patrick McGrath grew up in Broadmoor. His dad um, ran Broadmoor, you know, the right. mental mental side. Yeah. So his his what he writes is amazing gothic novels about people with extreme conditions, 
but he feels like he's doing it from inside. You know, so this is, I'm not going to say what Spider has, but Spider has a very distinct uh, mental illness wrong with him. We might just call schizophrenia, but there's more to it than that. Mm-hmm. And actually, it feels very convincing. Lots of the things he does, he wraps himself in cardboard and um, he writes his scribblings down, but no one can be able to read them. There's lots of very specific things he does. I just feel really convinced. They feel like an actual madman. Sorry, can't say that. Someone actually suffering from, from this illness might do. And that's because these things are very properly true, because the guy knows what's talking about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it feels we really do. You really inhabit the world of it illness, um, mm-hmm. really convincingly, and it's. I think, yeah, that really lingers. You know, the fact that it is so dark and depressing, and and that more just stuck in this viewpoint mm-hmm. is really has quite a cumulative effect. Mm-hmm. It's it's really interesting the way the story's told. Like as I said, we are learning the exact same time that uh, Dennis or Spider, as he kind of gets the the nickname uh, from his mum. We are learning these things at the same time as him, and as you're saying, because it's an unreliable narrator, which I don't think necessarily is given really until the end of the movie. You don't really know that he's an unreliable narrator. You feel that maybe he's just going back and yeah. remembering moments in his childhood, but you it's think not. He's just watching his childhood again because he interacts yeah. with his own with his own childhood. So you think, yeah. well, this is him in the future looking back at what happened. Mm-hmm. What you don't realise is that him in the future and him as a child both very seriously hit. Yeah. You don't listen to the child very seriously yet. So everything, every single thing that you see that you see that he's in mm-hmm. is arguably didn't happen that way, or even at all, some of it. Like it's very, very clever. It's one of those yeah. things you get to the end and you realise you've been, you know, essentially in a dream. Not a dream, it's not as cheesy as that, but one man's dream of his own life. Yeah. For ninety minutes. Mm-hmm. And um it's not a very happy dream. <laughs> it's almost, it's almost like he's so. As I said, we can we can go spoilery on this. Um, essentially, we find out at the end of the movie that he, and again, I kind of want to touch lightly on it because what he thinks is he has killed his mother, and his memory is that he's killed his mother, but he's done it because he thought his dad had killed his mum and then replaced him with a doppelganger played by uh, Miranda Richardson. Um, to kind of give you that as soon as you see her turn up um, and she just calls uh, Gabriel Burns' character the plumber all the time, she never gives him his name um, almost like he doesn't know his dad's name, so if he's projecting onto a character and what we are led to believe is he's killed his mum and that's led to yeah. him being put into an asylum or a, a, a psychiatric unit yeah, and one thing I did find weird is, is strange, and he's obviously the moment at the end of the movie where the the person in the, the kind of leader of the halfway house, the owner of the halfway house, turns around and realizes, and she says, "What have you done?" That was a really maybe I've just missed something, but it seems quite a strange line for her at that moment. As opposed to saying, "What are you, what are you doing?" What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You're right. That's never struck me as odd. Um, I guess in order, he, he's in her room and is about to kill her because he's seeing mm-hmm. his mum's, his his uh, his mum's mother Madonna, or sort of yeah. um, image projected onto her. Mm-hmm. And and to get to that point, he's like stolen the keys. He's probably got hold of those tools somewhere. He's been he's been getting sick again, and she hasn't noticed. Yeah. So far suddenly to notice him in her bed bedroom trying to kill her I guess might you know she's saying like what the hell's happened to you how did you get this bad yeah and I, yeah. I don't know it's 
it's kind of a really cool line because it's weird. Right, it is weird. I never noticed I never noticed that as standing out. Mm. And I also think the writer is such a like none of this is an accident. So yeah, I don't know why she says that. Next time I see it, which will not be soon, I'll be honest. <laughs> it's an absolute day. I watched it again last night because it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, next time I will watch out for that and try and work out if there's something I've missed as well. Yeah. Read the book as well. The book's brilliant. So it's, you, oh, it's, it's adapted? Yeah. Adapted by the novelist. Right. Most of his books are beautiful. Yeah. And this is one of his very best. And obviously, it's an unreliable narrator. Not very much happens. So you can imagine that the novel does that really well. Mm-hmm. And then so the idea of making it a film is brave and mm. risky because you, I think even even this even this murder of his mum is played quite plain like a plain event it's not none of this is exciting is it yeah. and, and you know it, yeah it's quite a sort of cold it's quite cold and slow moving mm. so yeah you just think this stuff works much better as, as a book but you mm. know they managed to yeah, translate it and I, yeah I love it's kind of weird sad vibe mm. it's one of those ones they would probably call unfilmable <laughs> like you'll see that yeah 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 when yeah, it's narration it, inside a head and things like that until it gets filmed yeah, until it gets filmed but it got filmed by you know David Cronenberg one of the best directors of all time starring Ray Fine too although yeah it's not always my favourite either it's pretty good mm. with Miranda Richardson in three different roles and Gabriel Byrne like, I mean yeah yeah yeah. She, if, if anyone could do it, that's the team, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, Gabriel Byrne, uh, yeah, I quite enjoyed him in this. He he plays the... I think because he plays the kind of aggressive father from the perspective of the young boy, and then when it turns that he has killed his mum, Gabriel Byrne's almost his turn as ca- of character where he is absolutely devastated that his wife's been killed because we just don't it's, it's so strange to talk about We'd, we've only ever seen him through the prism of Dennis and now we're seeing him almost as he was as his reaction to his wife's death maybe Dennis wasn't abusive because once he I think you notice a bit of a change in Dennis once the murder in air quotes has happened he seems happier to at home, he seems to like he comes home with the meat and he's talking about he has to go back for the giblets and he's not happy about that. Yeah, and there seems to be a definite change in him, but is that perceived by Dennis as well? Because obviously, the wife's still the same, it's still this, the same actress, and it's supposed to be the same person that's there. So, we can't trust anything we see about Gabriel mm-hmm. Bones' character, yeah, even though he seems to be you know a grumpy, uh, um, uh he cheats on his wife he's horrible to his son and, and earlier on we see him kill his wife but when it's revealed further down the line that, that Dennis is is wrong about all these things just as he's seeing his mum turn into a whore just as he's seeing this happen this happened, none of the information we have about Gabriel Byrne is reliable because it's all through the eyes of a very damaged little boy and if you can imagine his mum's made this turn to this monstrous like sort of repulsive a version of womanhood then mm. his dad being a bit grumpy well that could mean anything yeah yeah and it's it's interesting thinking back to scenes in the movie where we know it's coming from his point of view so he only really knows that his mum and dad have went to the pub yeah he doesn't know anything after that but we are getting shown scenes of his dad standing at the bar being leery over a woman yeah, yeah, going yeah, exactly. getting a certain pint that someone says oh that's a nice drop the mum's sitting there meek and kind of wounded in the background and it's really interesting yeah. once you know the ending thinking back on the scenes and I think on a second watch for me I'll look out for these little bits and pieces you're right because we have, we have elderly elder uh, Rafe in those scenes mm. looking in on them but, but 
he wasn't there. They're in the past. Obviously, it's his mum's dead, so they, they, he wasn't there when they happened. Yeah. So he's made he's made these up to like fill in his own story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not party to that answer till till the end. It doesn't feel like a twist to me because I've seen it so many times that that's the story. Like I see the story the way with there's no there's no twist. You know, there's no I have that knowledge when I turned on last night. I knew what I was going to get. Mm-hmm. But obviously, if you're watching for the first time, then uh, it all makes a, a, a different kind of sense the second. Week. Yeah, definitely does. Um, but. I think it just shows again Cronenberg's ability. I think all three of these movies that we've we've discussed his ability to adapt as a filmmaker. He is not just, of course, he's probably the king of body horror, and you can see his influence on like we spoke about Brandon, his son, and the body horror that he's able to bring out, and he is the one for that. But this, these three movies, just show a director that has strength in so much different areas it's not always about the gruesome and the grotesque it's about the understated um emotional impact of movies it's about the in in terms of a uh, the dead zone it's about having the eye for a bit of a thriller aspect to him as well it's not just what he's really stereotypically known for yeah i mean they're all i think they're all about the, the extremities of humans are capable for it so the only things are like the science well, what if you could do this and then that happened and then the dead zones you know kind of with a it's almost a supernatural thing it's just given a, like a strange gift by god and what to do with it and by the time of spider you're like well human brains do do this this is a real disease it's got the cat gas syndrome and what would it be like to be in that person's body it's like a, like a quieter version of looking at an extreme extreme biology you know in this case the biology of the brain um so that's just yeah it's great for people as a director he's making the same looking at the same subjects just through a different lens and yes that's um, these are 20 years apart these films and i also i mean we're going to come on to this right but i could have named like three or four other different films yeah so like, these are my three favorites but like yeah i think the the other two i spoke about with that would have been amber it was a crash and the fly yeah, okay, the, fly. yeah the flies the flies are picky what mm. an oscar it's got a huge movie stars you know that's i love it and but i just wanted to go a bit weird on this podcast that's fine. and then also scanners we mentioned earlier which is really really it's like the most fun uh-huh, of the chronobo movies and then there's dead ringers with uh, jeremy irons as twins in the late 80s which is really really great mm. and also history of violence and all these like bigger movies later on yeah yeah there's probably hours of talking to be done about this but yeah for me mm. i always like the weird sad ones and you know at least two of these really took that, those boxes. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, what, I've only watched Crash once for the podcast, and I don't think that's. It was a it, when I said a cold movie, I felt this was really cold and clinical, and I wasn't. I wasn't big on Crash to be honest. I wasn't it's a tough, huge. It's a tough watch, mm. isn't it? It's like a film that seems to be happening in his brain and not really anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I'm not a massive fan either. I need a little. You need a little spark of heat for this stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so other Cronenberg then, um, as you've mentioned, The Fly, and we you kind of talk, spoke about Scanners. Is there anything that you feel are essential Cronenberg that we've maybe not touched on? So I say the ones we've mentioned. I mean, and then Scanners and The Fly and Dead Ringers, and then you said earlier about History of Violence, which has mm-hmm. never really done it for me, but it's a big, you know, sort of a big prestige movie and won Oscars and the like. It doesn't feel like a Cronenberg movie to me and I still can't feel like it's a good gangster film. But mm. like yeah, I sort of prefer Eastern Promises, which is the one after with Vigo Mortensen. Yeah. Um point is there's loads and loads out there and he's still making them. 
Yeah. Um, sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're interesting. Sometimes there's occasional duff one, but like I think that's maybe like two in a career that started in the early seventies. So, yeah. I think I mean, you could just put put your finger on IMDb and you're going to hit an interesting career. Right. And the do you think up until maybe last year, and this is maybe just from my own perspective, was he a a director that maybe for a period of time the mainstream had almost forgotten about? Yeah, I think so. I think one of the things that's great, especially we've got more used to horror and extreme genre stuff. And secondly, you stick around long enough, people start noticing how good you are. Mm. And most people from his, his era are sold out at the end, you know, like they started making soft films or, you know, they say like a John Carpenter's and sold out. He's made quite a lot of bad movies. Most the Cronenberg stuff is just as uncompromising and mm. they're almost all good or interesting. And so I think people just slowly come. If you just stay the same in that way, the world comes around to noticing. Just name another one like that. It's almost like up there with the Scorsese. It's just he's been working in horror. So, you know, it's sort of underground a bit. Yeah, doesn't get the credit he's probably due because it's not Oscar Beatty, Academy Beatty, exactly. as you're saying, yeah. But that credit has definitely grown and it's probably, you know, probably peaking for him now. He must be turning 80 very soon. And so, yeah, I think it's, you know, everyone's just, it's impossible to look at that career and be anything other than impressed. What he does is bring us interesting, uncompromising movies, you know. But thank God, amazing. Must be awkward at family dinners when he's sitting saying to Brandon at Christmas or something. <laughs> so how's your movie? Yeah, it's been good, yeah. Well, I want to watch it because I know what I'm fucking doing. I'll tell you what to do. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't strike me as the type of guy that would do that, but you know what I mean? Just the kind of comedy version of it. <laughs> I would, oh my God, if I could be in that family dinner, I would, be, I would die a happy man, I tell you. The only thing is, you have to eat a turkey that's got a vagina in its chest. <laughs> like, that's fine, I'm vegetarian, it's all weird to me anyway, so. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> you're laughing, you're, look, are you laughing, or is that even worse? I don't know. I would, the... I'd, eat, I'd eat that weird turkey for David and Brandon, definitely. That's fine. Um, so... Uh, before we can uh, sign off, um, where can everyone find you? Where can they get your book uh, or your books as well? Obviously, Book of Horrors, the, the kind of latest one you've done. The best thing they can do is go to Twitter and see me at Matt Basby or at the Book of Horror. And, you know, by the magic of the internet, you will very easily find me or that book. And yeah, if you do uh, buy it, um, drop me a line and tell me if you like it. I'd be really interested to hear from you. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely will. Um, I might actually just go on Amazon after this. Oh, I meant the people listening. But, oh, I mean, me. Uh, you, you as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. Um, you're going to drop me a line. Yeah, of yeah. course, yeah. Um, yeah, and thanks very much, as I said, for joining us. So what I do at the end, and if Mark Woody is listening to this, apologies, Mark, I know I kind of stole this from you, but I hadn't heard your podcast at the time, um, is I get the guest to sign out on either a piece of music from a movie or a score or a theme tune from a movie just to sign us out on. What is your pick for this evening? Absolutely. Well, I, I completely forgot you about this until just now, so I scrambled around <laughs> in my head. And this, I don't really like the movie very much. It's called The Ghost Story. It's from 2017. It's not really my right. kind of thing. Uh. But in it, Casey Affleck plays a musician and he does that thing where you go, here's my new song. And then every movie ever where they do this, fucking terrible and this is a song called I Get Overwhelmed by Dark Rooms and it's beautiful just surprisingly beautiful so yeah I'm gonna pick that one and um yeah, yeah it's like so much better than it needed to be yeah. it's yeah yeah so have a listen nice. so it's I Get Overwhelmed by Dark Rooms Dark Rooms um, Matt again thank you very much for joining us I'll speak to you on the socials and email and everything now no you're in Glasgow you don't I can find you 
<laughs> that sounds ominous. But anyway. <laughs> but yeah, thanks very much. And this is I Got Overwhelmed by Dart Rooms. That's power, that power, that's a business. 